Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Welcome to the SG Engage podcast. I'm Rachel Hutchison, and I have the honor and pleasure of leading global social responsibility at Blackboard. A little while ago, we launched what we called the CSR Book Club on this podcast. And today we're here for another episode. I'm joined today by Alex Budak, a faculty member at UC Berkeley and the author of a book we'll be talking about today called Becoming a Changemaker, an Actionable Inclusive Guide to Leading Positive Change at Any Level. So welcome to the show, Alex. Rachel, thank you so much for having me. So let's just jump in. Tell us a little bit about you. Sure. So I wear a few different hats. I began my social impact work as a social entrepreneur, co-founding the social venture Start Some Good. Um, from there, ended up running an incubator based in Stockholm, Sweden, to support social innovators there. And then through some fortuitous breaks, found myself at UC Berkeley's Haas School of Business, where I have an absolute dream come true, teaching a class called Becoming a Changemaker, um, which is teaching students graduate students, executives, how to lead positive change from where they are. So when we first uh, met each other, you told me a little bit about how uh, the book really wasn't the goal. The teaching was the goal, right? And the book is kind of an outcome of that. Yeah, that's right. It's at my core. I think I'm a, a teacher. That's what I love doing. I love being in a classroom and I get so energized and so lit up from teaching my students that I sometimes can't sleep on teaching nights because I just love being in the classroom and teaching them so much. Well, that's wonderful. I come from a long line of teachers and um, truly value the, the role that they play in our world. So before we go any deeper, I want to start with a really basic question. So what do you mean by the term change maker? So I mentioned that I began as a social entrepreneur. I think that's one amazing way to make change. But I've also come to realize it's far from the only way. So as I was thinking about my fundamental belief, which is that each of us can lead change from where we are, is trying to find a concept that's more inclusive. And so the way I define a change maker is simply someone who leads positive change from wherever they are. And you'll notice that in that definition, there's no mention of roles or of titles. I believe that a Nobel Prize winner has just as much claim to the title of change maker as an entry-level product manager or a nonprofit administrative assistant. We can each be change makers. And so I try to bring that inclusive lens of change to supporting change makers from all walks of life. Yeah, I think that's really wonderful because, you know, when I was growing up, I had this vision that like you were a leader when you did enough or you were a change maker when you did enough that people could actually, you had a title, you had a rank, you had proven success, but, but change really does come from everywhere. It absolutely does. And I think it can feel quite limiting because I've been in the same position where it's like, okay, let me wait until someone gives me that permission to say, okay, Alex, you're a leader, Alex, you're a change maker. And I think one of the first and most fundamental things that we can each do is to stop waiting for that permission and instead give it to ourselves to say, yeah, I can lead change from wherever I am. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I said to someone once a number of years ago in my career that you're not a leader because you say you're one. You're a leader because other people are actually, you know, listening to you and getting insights from you and seeing you as a leader. And, and, you know, some managers are not necessarily leaders. You would hope that they all are, but, 
Um, and if you look on the flip side, there are, you know, I learn things from my kids all the time and they lead and, and drive change all the time and things. And they're just starting their careers. I think that's actually really exciting. Couldn't agree more. I often say that leaders might be scarce, but leadership is abundant. So if you look at your organization, maybe there's only one CEO or one executive director. But I think each of us can practice acts of leadership. Once we decouple it, instead of thinking that leadership is a title, no, leadership is an act. And that's one of the fundamental things I talk about in the book. It's a new concept I call micro-leadership, which breaks leadership down into its most meaningful, smallest unit, which is simply a leadership moment. Because I think when we tell the story of leadership through the lens of the single heroic moment, you know, think about Lequileza scaling the wall or Steve Jobs pulling the iPhone out of his pocket for the first time, it can feel inspiring. But sometimes we look at them and say, well, you know, I'm not naturally an extrovert like they are, or I'm not naturally as charismatic as they are. Does that mean I can't be a leader? But no, absolutely not. I think the key is starting to see leadership through this lens of micro-leadership. So if you think about it, Leadership moments appear before us dozens of times per day, small little moments where you can step up and serve others in a meaningful way. It might be during a meeting where you notice that one of your colleagues has been quiet and you say, hey, you know, no pressure, but if you're comfortable sharing, we'd love to hear your perspective. Or maybe it's having the courage to say no when everyone else is saying yes. Or maybe it's just staying late to help a new colleague clean up after their first event. These are all tiny little leadership moments. But when we start seeing the world through that lens of micro-leadership, we say, no, I don't need permission to seize these moments. I will step up and do something about it. And how different the world looks when instead of waiting for that permission, instead we give it to ourselves and we seize those leadership moments and we practice micro-leadership. Yeah, that's so for those of us, those of you listening, uh, uh, Alex actually talks about this in chapter seven. I don't want to give away the whole book because I hope you'll go out and get it. Um, But one of the things I loved in that chapter, Alex, is how you talked about service and the component of the importance of service in micro leadership or even just in leadership overall. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if you look at the world today, I think we have a number of examples where we see people in traditional leadership positions and we see them being self-serving where they sort of have the title, have the role, and it seems like it's in it for themselves. Whether we're looking at growing income inequality between the top and the bottom of an organization or looking at politics, it's so easy to say, well, if that's what a leader is, that's what I should aspire towards. But no, I believe that fundamentally leadership is about service. It's about looking out for those under your control or those around you. And that the best leaders are those that make those around them feel safe. That's borne out by Amy Edmondson's wonderful research on psychological safety. And just this lens of seeing the world and seeing your opportunity as a leader, not in terms of what others can do for you, but as a leader, what can you do for them? Yeah. How do you remove roadblocks? How do you, you know, help? I, I live a life of service. So this really, really resonates with me. Uh, so, well, and sometimes it's a big act, but sometimes it's a small act. You know, sometimes one of the most meaningful things I did as a manager was just making sure that once I found out that a colleague of mine was having trouble booking a conference room, doing what it takes to make sure that they can. You know, it's not always the glamorous work, but doing small little things to make your teammates better. That's service. And that's beautiful. Yeah. And often if you are uh, someone with a higher rank than someone else, the fact that you took the time to just do something small actually speaks volumes because you know, they wouldn't think that, that they would be worth you, you just taking, doing something small for them. Um, but I love that. So in chapter three, you talk about something that I think is really interesting that I'd love for you to expound on a little bit, which is confidence without attitude. So talk a little bit about that. 
And one of the funny things about being a change maker is I think we often need to hold these polarities, these seeming dichotomies at the same time. You know, you might think about that on one hand, as a change maker, you've got to have a sense of urgency, right? When we're thinking about things like climate justice, racial justice, we need action. But also recognizing that change takes time. We've got to be patient. So urgency and patience, that's an example of one of those polarities. And I think another one here is confidence without attitude. I teach in my class and write in the book that as change makers, we've got to be both confident and humble. We've got to be confident enough to stand up and say, hey, I've got an idea. It's an idea that's worth listening to. I've got a concept for change. Maybe I don't have it perfect, but hey, this is worth pursuing. You also got to have the humility, the humility to model your own failability at the top, to inclusively bring others into the change with you, to make it seem like you don't have all the answers since you no doubt uh, lack all the answers anyway. But I think what change makers often do or feel pressured to do is to go somewhere in between where they go, okay, let me be a little bit confident and a little bit humble. But no, I think what we really need to do is be both and be confident and be humble. It's when you are able to hold both of these seemingly contradictory traits at the same time that really amazing things happen. In the book, I tell the story of a terrific changemaker, Gwen Yi Wong. She's based in Kuala Lumpur, and she's the founder of an organization called Tribeless. And so when you look from the outside at Tribeless back in 2020, the organization was thriving. She was on magazine covers, growth was off the charts, seemed, things seemed really good. But internally, she didn't quite feel that she was leading in the best way. She started realizing that the organization, as it was in this kind of hyper growth mode, needed a different type of leader. You needed someone more focused on finance and on operations, where she was more of a visionary, more of a product person. And so she took a really difficult decision and she decided that it was in the best interest of her team and herself too, to step back and no longer be the CEO. Now, what I love about the story of Gwen Yu Wong is that she's both of these things. She has amazing confidence to start the organization in the first place. And then on top of that, the confidence to say, you know, I'm not the right leader to put us forward into this next chapter. But she also had the humility to recognize that the organization needed something else. It needed a different type of leadership. So through a number of difficult conversations with her co-founder and her team, she decided that she would take a step back. She took on the chief product officer role. Her co-founder stepped up as CEO. And not only was this an act of confidence and humility, it was also a good strategy for the firm because, as we know, COVID hit just a couple months later, and she was in a great position as a product officer to navigate the digital transformation and go completely virtual. And she wouldn't have been able to do that if she were focused on the traditional CEO role. And so I encourage all change makers to not just go somewhere in between a little confident and a little humble, but proudly be both be confident and be humble. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful mix. It's something that, you know, I've learned in my own career and, you know, there's a certain amount of wisdom that does come with age. Um, you feel a little less insecure about, you know, feeling, being an imposter in the business setting and thinking that people are going to figure out that you don't know everything. And, and I often say that the older I get, the less I think I know. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually really comfortable with that because I, I understand that there are so many things out there that I just can't possibly be an expert in. But I do have the confidence to know that I can find the people who know what I need to find out. And I can surround myself with people who are going to help us get to a really good conclusion of whatever else, whatever it is that we're trying to do. But admitting that you don't know everything is something I was really bad at when I was 30. And now I'm like, oh gosh, there's so much I don't know. So so 
it's something I, I hope other people get to faster than I did. Yeah. It's so empowering when you recognize that you can't possibly know everything. And once you stop putting pressure on yourself to do it, well, then it opens you up to be a much better leader. It's something I talk a lot with my MBA students about because they often come in as subject matter experts. Maybe they're really good at finance, really good at marketing, but then they realize, okay, if I'm going to step into a a VP role, I'm now going to be managing, I don't know, an HR person, an, an operations person. And I tell them, well, you have two options. Either you can go become a world expert on operations and finance and HR and, 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 and. Or you could learn how to ask really good questions to find a really good team and to find ways that you can support them through asking powerful questions, seeing connections that others may not have. But I agree it comes from that place of humility, which is you've got to first say, I can't be an expert in everything. So let me see how I can be of service to others through asking good questions and supporting them. Yeah. And what perspectives can you bring them that they haven't gotten yet because of the area that they're in? Yeah, that's really interesting. So I know we don't want to give everything away about your book. You talk about the change maker mindset, and I think I'm right in, in thinking that, that you really based a lot of this on research. And so I would love to hear a little bit both about the mindset and also about the research you did and, and what you learned from it. Yeah. So many of you listening might feel inspired to become a change maker. We might be saying, okay, but it sounds a little fuzzy. And you know, I get it. I teach at UC Berkeley, which is grounded in empirical research and, and data. So while I'm not a hardcore researcher myself, I really love the teaching more than the research. I did set out to do the first ever longitudinal study looking at how changemakers develop over time. Uh, We call it the Changemaker Index. And by the way, if any of your listeners want to take it for themselves, you can go to changemakerbook.com slash index. It's a 25-question survey to try to understand whether and how changemakers develop over time. And what are some of the key characteristics or traits that the most effective changemakers have, irrespective of role or of sector? And so we went into it just with curiosity. I didn't try to prove anything, but just try to understand, can people develop over time as changemakers? And the data unequivocally say yes. Then also, what are some of the trends that we can pull out? And so among the things that we see in that is that the biggest jump that people make between sort of where they are coming into the class before learning about changemaking and after is around a trait called changemaker awareness. It's having your eyes open to all of the opportunities to lead change. We see that people often get their horizons broadened, that a lot of people think, well, you know, I'll be a changemaker, but I'll do that once I have my formal career done, or I'll do it on the side, or, 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 or. We come up with all these reasons not to. But changemaker effectiveness and awareness tells us that, no, there's always opportunities to lead change. been inspired to see in the data that, for instance, there are people that have much more traditional jobs. So think a product manager at a tech startup. But they say, well, let me use my position to try to advocate for change there, whether that's around a climate policy or in the book, I tell the story about a guy who got the entire company to start composting. Then you can always lead change from where you are if you have that that angle, that lens on change. The second thing we see is that effective change makers, especially on the change maker mindset component, um, have a sense of agency. It's this belief that tomorrow can be better than today and I can play a role in making it so. It's quite easy, I think, especially for middle managers to sort of feel stuck and feel like, oh, well, I don't have enough agency to create change, so I'm not going to disrupt things. I'm not going to question the status quo. I'm just going to go along with the way things are. But we find in the data, the most effective change makers give themselves the sense of agency. They may not have things perfectly figured out, but they say, well, I think there's something I can do about it. So let me at least give it a shot. That's the sense of agency. Yeah. And and you touched on something that, that I, it's similar to something that I say that people should lead from where they stand. 
you know, or sit or whatever, like lead from where you are, from, from the experience you have, the, where you're grounded from what you know, and each person in this world um, has knowledge that's unique to them and can, can help lead others. I think we're getting more and more aware of that today than we, than we did in the and past. How much better, I'm oh, sorry. And how much better off we'll all be when we all bring our own lived experiences to the table too, as we diversify who gets to be a leader how wonderful it is that we'll get these new perspectives that have traditionally been marginalized, traditionally been excluded. And we're all so much better off when we bring those perspectives, those insights, those lived experiences to the table. Yeah, for sure. It it makes a lot of sense. And it makes me kind of shake my head about, well, why didn't we do that before? But I'm glad that we're doing it now. So this is a CSR book club episode of this podcast. So in addition to talking about your book, I wanted to ask you, what are you reading? What else would you recommend our listening audience check out? Well, I have to say I'm the proud dad of an almost two-year-old. So if you ask me what I'm reading right now, it's mostly books for him, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but if you ask me some of my favorite books for, for changemakers, you know, I've got so many to, to recommend, but a few that just come to mind, things that I reference in my own work and teaching quite a bit and that have inspired me. I love the book Different by Young Me Moon. She's a professor at Harvard Business School, and she's a marketing branding expert. But what I love about the book is that she talks about how brands can be different. But I think there's really wonderful lessons for us as changemakers, sort of as you said, to kind of have the confidence to question the status quo, to go our own way, to not think we have to have all the answers. And I think I love business books that also have a personal lens, and she does a really good job there. I also love a book called Act Like a Leader, Think Like a Leader, which is by Hermione Ibarra, a professor at London Business School. And what she talks about is that we have to have this bias towards action. Instead of waiting and kind of sitting in a room by ourselves and saying, okay, this is the type of leader I'm going to be. And okay, let me get it perfect. Now let me go. Instead, no, it's much more about trying things out. It's about saying, okay, I think this is my style of leadership. Let me give it a shot. See how it works. Of course, be open to feedback, to iterate based on that feedback, but really having a bias towards action when it comes to leading. Um, And then to throw in one more, I also love the book Multipliers by Liz Weissman. Um, her book is all about how we can make those around us better. Um, she says we should stop asking, is this person smart, but rather ask in what ways is this person smart? And then how can we amplify those strengths through our own leadership and management? That's really interesting. And it's, it points out how judgmental the question is, is this person smart? Like everybody (laughs) is smart about something. It's just a question of how society values that smartness. Well, that's fascinating. I have recommended many times that people read Tomorrow's Capitalist, which came out, I believe, earlier this year by Alan Murray, who's the executive editor of Fortune. I think it's a great book. It gives you a great overview of really where he sees business today and where business is going. And a lot of it really resonates with me. And and speaking of Fortune, I was just at the Fortune most powerful women next gen event. And during that event, I was given a book called take back your power by Deborah Liu, who is the CEO of ancestry. And, um, I haven't read it yet, but it's, you know, a lot of women have struggled with, um, how to, you know, be moms and, and sisters and spouses and all of these things and also be in business. And she said, she kind of like you, she had been, she realized she'd had all these conversations with all of these people. And if the only way she was going to reach even more people was if she put this advice down in a book. So 
looking forward to reading that. And then I'm looking forward to reading Sustainable Leadership by Clark Murphy, which is um, lessons of vision and courage and grit from CEOs who really want to build a better world. And those are, there are two that are on my stack that I haven't read yet. I always have many on the stack and some nonfiction. And for, for your little boy, I would have to say that one of my favorite little kids books um, is A Snowy Day. It's mm. a absolutely beautiful um, little story. Um, beautiful, beautiful. Been around for a very long time, but check out A Snowy Day if you hadn't, haven't Thank already. You. We have it on the bookshelf. And since maybe some of your listeners are parents as well, I'll add in one more favorite ch- children's book. It also has kind of a change maker lens as well. It's called What Do You Do With an Idea by Kobe oh, yeah. Yamada. Uh, beautifully illustrated and just a beautiful, simple story about an idea that follows a kid around. And I think as change makers, we often have those ideas. And I love that we can start teaching our children about the power of ideas. Well, it's so funny because, you know, kids come with very open minds and into this world and, and it's like the world kind of changes them. And so when you, you observe how a kid thinks they're, they're pinging all over the place. They've got all these incredible ideas are incredibly creative. And then the world kind of makes them more closed in. So the trick is how do you, how do you stop that from happening? Exactly. Right. If you go back to the point that you made about giving yourself the permission to not have to know it all. Well, kids don't have that pressure to know it all. They're wonderfully curious about the world and they don't see the fact they don't know why the sky is blue as some fatal flaw. No, it's a curiosity. It's something they want to know about and how wonderful that mindset is that the child's sort of sense of wonder. Yeah. Well, so as my parting question to you today, Alex, I would love to have you share with our listening audience where people can go to get a copy of your book, Becoming a Changemaker. Oh, great. You can go to changemakerbook.com and it's available at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, and your favorite local indie store as well. Well, I want to thank you for joining me today on this episode of the SG Engage podcast. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you. I love the work that you do. And thanks for having me. This is a fun conversation. And to the SG Engage podcast listening audience, I want to thank you for listening in with us. I hope you pick up some of these books and, and have a great read. And I hope you check out other episodes of the podcast. And with that, this is Rachel Hutchison signing off.